Neil Armstrong there, setting foot on the moon, first uh, time ever, obviously, in 1969. On today's very date, an amazing achievement, mind-boggling courage, technical prowess, uh, imagination, uh, a, a great moment for humanity. And uh, we'll uh, we'll play a little more tape of the mission because it's it's so dramatic and so cool. Uh, Jack's made this point in the past. It would be so incredible if we had modern audio and video capabilities for a trip to the moon like that. We get better pictures and and I think in some cases video uh, from Mars from our various little uh, you know uh, probes than we did from Apollo 11. How incredible would it be to see uh, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, full color and and the rest of it. But a a couple of fun Apollo 11 facts for you. Thought-provoking, amusing in some cases. Oh, the first breakfast on the moon? Bacon and coffee. Does not sound bad at all. I wouldn't mind a couple of scrambled eggs, but uh, bacon and coffee will do. Get a fella going. Good protein. Um, The Saturn V rocket that launched the Apollo 11 astronauts into space, is still the tallest, heaviest, and most powerful rocket ever flown. I don't know a lot about rocketry. I guess they figured out that they really didn't need that much thrust subsequently, or or I guess they stuck with the the Saturn V for quite a while. But anyway, it was an amazing beast of a rocket. 363 feet tall, weighed 6.2 million pounds. So the explanation for why they had a bunch of guys about to turn blue the spot that they were supposed to land, um, they overshot it by about four miles. Probably bears repeating, and most of you already know this, that the technology of 1969 is inferior to that in, in my watch, or in my uh, in, certainly in my phone. I mean, it was a fraction of the computing power I have in my hand right now. Um, and they realized, uh-oh, we're four miles past. And so Neil Armstrong switched into manual mode and flew to an impromptu landing site. Now, there's a little more to it. Buzz Aldrin was the guy to be flying the landing module in that situation. But since they had to go to manual and pick a landing spot on the fly, Aldrin's window wasn't as well positioned as Neil Armstrong's to see the ground. And so Neil took control, flew 500 meters to smoother ground, said, I guess this looks good. At the same time, a computer system in the Eagle malfunctioned, if you can picture a computer of 1969, showing an error code that the astronauts didn't recognize. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's like when your TV won't light up and it says error code 4C, and you're like, I have no idea what that is. Well, they were in the Why same position. Why didn't they just Google what the error code was? And, and yeah, they should have, stupid, stupid astronauts. <laughs> and five alarms were blaring. This is as Neil Armstrong is trying to fake it and find a place to land, having overshot the landing um, area by four miles. And they looked at their gauges, and when they touched down, they had 45 seconds worth of fuel left in the landing tank. I don't have it in front of me. I've, I've read it in the past because they had the medical telemetry on the guys in their spacesuits, but uh, Neil Armstrong's pulse rate was up around 200, I think, as they were actually uh, trying to land. Can you imagine? First time human beings have ever been on the moon. You overshoot your landing place. You're running out of gas. I know it's not gas. Um, you got alarms blaring. And trying to figure out how to not kill yourselves on a boulder. And uh, and they set the the dang thing down. Hence the tape. Now, with that, the context, can you play that same tape again, Sean? Or did you get rid of it? Uh, no, I think I got it here. Okay. Give it one second to load up. Here. Yeah. Oh, man, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. There's uh, plenty of good movies about the, the space program. The one that w- was released in 2018, First Man, uh, Ryan Gosling in, in the leading role. To me, that was the best movie that uh, communicated the lack of technology that was incorporated with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the, the claustrophobic spaces, the, you know, bolts actually rattling as it's going through the atmosphere and just the, it's easy to forget how, how just basic the technology was that they had at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at a picture right now of, of Neil Armstrong um, inside the lunar module in 1969. I'm so used to him as the great American hero, an older fella. It's, it's funny to look at him and how young he was at the time. Cut yeah. the balls on these guys. Pardon uh, my French. Uh, speaking of Neil and Buzz Aldrin, now, according to uh, general procedure, the commander, Neil Armstrong, would stay at the controls in case of an emergency, and Buzz Aldrin would go out um, and be the first guy down the ladder to check things out. And if, you know, six-legged moon creatures with fangs and red eyes uh, ran out of the craters and, and started to chew on Buzz Aldrin, Neil would have lifted up and uh, lifted off rather I gotta go. Save the ship and himself and blah, blah, blah. Um, now, in 2014, Buzz Aldrin, great American, wrote that NASA chose Armstrong to go first for the symbolic value. Buzz wrote, many people felt the greatest symbology, that's a word I don't use very often, uh, would be of the commander taking that responsibility and and going and taking the risk and doing the brave new thing. But NASA responded, no, uh, Neil's seat was between Buzz's seat and the door. <laughs> he had to go first to get out of the way. because And, and, and so many of you, I'm sure, have been to the uh, National Aerospace Museum, Air and Space Museum, uh, the Smithsonian uh, Institution there in D.C., and if you look at the uh, the uh, landing module, everybody says the same thing. Oh, my God, it's tiny. I might freak out if I had to be in there for an hour. It's so small. And those guys were rocketing through space. Um, 
in that tiny little thing. So, yeah, literally, NASA says, no, Neil had to get out of Buzz's way um, to uh, to just make room for everybody to get out and explore the, the moon. They were on the moon, you know, i got to scroll up again, uh, for quite an extended time, although a lot of it was inside. And then they bounced around. We've all seen the footage, planted the flag and the rest of it. Uh, while Armstrong and Aldrin were on the moon, Michael Collins stayed in orbit to helm the command module. Guy had over 4,200 hours of flight experience as a fighter pilot um, and had previously piloted the Gemini 10 mission. And, you know, it's funny. We were just talking about the horrifically inaccurate, just fictional New York Times article about uh, Trump and the Russia thing a little earlier. If you heard it, you heard it. Um, But this is uh, a reminder of that in an amusing way. I was the most lonesome person in the whole universe, at least according to the newspapers. Colin joked, uh, Collins rather joked in an Apollo panel. Actually, I was glad to get behind the moon so Mission Control would shut up. <laughs> the moon's mass blocked communication, so he finally got time to relax. Then I had some peace and quiet, he said. Uh, oh, there it is. Uh, so Aldrin Armstrong stayed on the lunar surface for 21 hours and 36 minutes, most of that time actually inside the lunar module. They stepped onto the moon about four and a half hours after touching down can you imagine it's like your kids get to to disneyland and uh, you sit there in the car for four hours. they were scanning the horizon for moon monsters right exactly <laughs> the aforementioned betentacle the fanged moon monsters uh, so finally four and a half hours later after you know all the checklists had been gone through and they were geared up and the rest of it they thought holy crap here we go and neil armstrong climbed down the ladder uh, they collected samples took pictures and video planted an American flag and a plaque, set up a couple of experiments, took a call from the White House, and after about two and a half hours kicking around on the surface, they climbed back into the lunar module to get some sleep, which they badly needed. The human beast, like most beasts, is so interesting. After having that mind-bogglingly stressful, exciting, wonderful experience... They're like, I gotta get some sleep. And they went off and they, they went to sleep. You'd think we'd be designed as a beast that you could, I don't know, put it off for two, three days and go explore the moon a little more. But no, they needed some shut eye. Uh, to link back with Collins in orbit, Aldrin and Armstrong had to launch back off the moon in the lunar module, which is not much of a rocket ship. I mean, the moon doesn't have much, uh, gravity. Uh, but it's it's still, they had to strap themselves into a rocket again, onto a bomb, and, and go back up and somehow sync up with, with Collins in orbit. And if something had gone wrong in that, the lesser discussed blast-off of the whole thing, they'd have been stranded in space. Yeah. Keep in mind, using, you know, slide rules and pencils and paper and and the computers of the time which again are hilariously antiquated by today's standards yeah, it just reminded me of the the movie first man i was talking about they were, they depict this moment where oh no something's gone wrong when we're in the middle of space and what do these guys do they grab a pencil and paper and they start doing division or whatever right. to try to yeah, figure out how to get back math. on course so they had to figure out precisely when to blast back off of the moon and get back in orbit around the moon to to rejoin to click back into uh the the mothership that michael collins was piloting um which again in 1969 was just not a sure bet they'd done drill after drill and practice after practice but nobody'd ever 
done this before. So if something went wrong, though, they'd have been stranded in space and mission control was ready for this. They would then have to, to use their euphemism, close down communication. That was the announcement they were going to make. Uh, I'm afraid we have to close down communication. And William Sapphire, President Nixon's speechwriter at the time, told NBC back in 1999, the men then would either have starved to death or more likely committed suicide in space. And we would have been looking at a, a serious period of national mourning. Um, whether they were just lost uh, circling the moon or couldn't get off the moon, um, there's no way we could have returned to, to rescue them. Um, and indeed, uh, just before liftoff, Buzz Aldrin discovered that a crucial circuit breaker had broken and they had to uh, perform various workarounds. And, um, and actually, ultimately, Buzz, since they couldn't get the p- control panel to write, he used a pen to jab into where he needed to jab into to press a button, and it allowed the uh, astronauts to leave the moon safely rejoin uh, Collins. You know, one of the reasons I'm making such a big deal of this, oh, and, and, and Richard Nixon had a backup speech that was released in 1999, which was 30 years later. I guess somebody had decided to keep this stuff under wraps for 30 years. Uh, he had a backup speech titled, In Event of Moon Disaster, and the speech began, fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. It's incredibly, God, if that doesn't bring a tear to your eye, there's something wrong with your soul. It continued, these brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edward Aldrin, know that there's no hope for their recovery, but they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. Can you imagine that? Um, oh, anyway, what I started to say was one of the reasons... I'm going through this and and making a big deal of it, not only because it's awe-inspiring. It's because I fear that we as a country have lost the spirit that said, let's do something incredible. Let's do something wonderful and amazing. Now, part of it was the, the Soviet threat, of course, the space race, and we don't want them to dominate space. There was a good, solid, practical reason for wanting to get really good at rockets. But there was also that national will that when we as the United States of America decide to do something mind-boggling, history-changing, we can do it, and we will not let anything stand in our way. And I fear we've lost that spirit. I hope we haven't. Uh, When we come back, I want to talk about some of the protests at the time, because there was not anything near unanimity in the country on uh, the Apollo 11 mission, which may surprise some of you. Uh, We'll do that next. Armstrong and Getty. Kind of vaguely space-related music. 2001 Space Odyssey theme. Space 2000, whatever the movie, right? Yep. Ape tosses a bone in the air or something. Kubrick, drugs. I don't know. Anyway. Kubrick uh, and drugs. Eh? <laughs> you know, it's rare that they travel solo. I've seen <laughs> a handful of Stanley Kubrick movies, which 
are brilliant. Sometimes brilliant is a little tough to take in terms of art. 2001 A Space Odyssey, I, I was never a big fan of. And maybe it's because I was too young and dumb at the time. I don't know. As opposed to now when I'm old and dumb. Uh, I've always loved A Clockwork Orange. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But anyway, as promised, uh, I thought I'd mention this to you. A few days before the rocket launched uh, Apollo 11 into space, about 500 people protested the moonshot program outside the Kennedy Space Center, led by a Reverend Ralph Abernathy, who was an associate of Martin Luther King Jr.'s. Uh, the protesters were part of a pretty big uh, number of Americans that thought the Apollo mission's $24.5 billion budget should go toward social programs instead of sending men to the moon. In fact, in a Harris poll six months before Apollo 11, only 39% of Americans supported the efforts to put someone on the moon. Um, in the same poll, just under 41% of Americans said they'd choose to cut funding to the space program above any other government activity. 41% said, yeah, cut NASA. Only 18% wanted to cut Vietnam War funding. This is in 1969. And this is a good example of how uh, history and the way history is written can distort the way it actually unfolded. And a lot of activists are trying very hard to do that right now. But don't we think of everybody was against Vietnam, or most people, and everybody was in favor of Apollo 11. But it's not true at all. Not true at all. There was quite a bit of protest, and you even had uh, singers writing songs. Gil Scott Heron wrote a song called Whitey on the Moon in protest of the Apollo 11 program. How about that? Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, it's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Hope you're doing well. Thank you very much for tuning in. Oh, this is sad news. Michael Avenatti is broke and can't afford uh, his lawyer, according to his lawyer. This is creepy porn lawyer, Stormy Daniels uh, escort, uh, who was the toast of cable news for quite some time, mentioned frequently as a Democratic candidate for president. Um, unbelievable. He's He's been arrested, charged with a hundred different things. Fraud, tax evasion, many other crimes. Extortion. He'll be underground crying for mommy. He'll say, <laughs> mommy, mommy, please take me home. God, he stole from anybody, everybody. He's a lunatic. Anyway, he's a joke, and he's broke. And, that's <laughs> and then a he tried to use his newfound fame and cachet as an attempt. Was it a black blackmail of Nike? Was that who he yeah, went Yeah, he tried after? to extort money from Nike. <laughs> yeah, just unbelievable. Uh, another quick note. Um... Uh, John Lewis, congressman, uh, has passed at age 80. He was an actual hero of the civil rights movement. Dude was a monster in a positive way of, of, of courage and, and in, in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., demanding that the promissory note the United States had written to its citizens be paid in full, that everybody gets their civil rights. He got arrested dozens of times, had his head busted open, crossing uh, the bridge there at Selma. Um, Incredibly courageous man and a great, great American. Now, I happen to think he was in Congress forever. And I will tell you that I don't think being a politician and holding that much power for decades does anybody any good. I'll just say that. 
Um, but in his younger days, uh, he was unquestionably an American hero and deserves the the accolades he's got going out. You know, if there are things he did later in his career that I didn't think were were super cool, uh, we can discuss that another day. But uh, the man had unbelievable courage. Uh, speaking of civil rights and that sort of thing, uh, John Lewis, I will listen to. Uh, maybe take with a grain of salt, as I said, but I uh, absolutely owe him that respect. 20-year-old grievance study girls from the suburbs, white chicks screeching at black cops. I have precisely zero seconds to hear what they have to say. But a couple of prominent black Americans have been speaking about by uh, speaking out about the current situation in recent days, including, why don't we start with, uh, he's an actor. You know him, you love him. From, uh, what was his big uh, officer and a gentleman? Or was he the drill sergeant and... You know, I know his work, but I, I'm not that big a movie guy. But Lou Gossett Jr. is now, um, you know, pretty well on in years and was on CBS uh, Sunday morning talking about his experiences. So I turned it off and I looked at the cops and they said, uh, who are you? I said, Louis Gossett, I'm here to do, just shut up. Took me out of the car and put me on a curb. And he looked at me and I've never had that done to me, even though I've been in the South. Went out to the farm. After about 25 minutes... Behave yourself and turn that music down. Get back in the car and go another 10 feet. Ah, stop. Now the boss is there with big belly. Get out. Now I'm on the ground in front of my own car. They're still looking for something. Another 15 minutes, and they came back and handcuffed me to a tree for three hours. 1966. A tree? A tree, yeah, palm tree. Something happened to my system. Middle to have to look over and, and be careful because that sensation did damage to me. So when they say black lives matter, all lives matter because not only did they hurt me, but they hurt themselves. That last part is really eloquent. Of course, uh, Lou Gossett must now be canceled and, uh, and, and, and thrown out of work and hated and screeched at for saying all lives matter, obviously. Uh, we have come so Far since 1966, so incredibly far, and anybody who denies that is just well, they're probably a 20 year old white social major from the suburbs, and they ought to shut the hell up. Uh, Colin Powell, I'm sorry, Colin Powell, General Colin Powell, also uh, speaking uh, in this case on Face the Nation. There is a need for more John Lewis's, not just one, but many. We've got a lot of work to do. And it's not just a matter of uh, how do we get Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter. It's a matter of teaching young people. It's a matter of getting young people educated. We have to now move on to new things and not just slogans. And we have to make sure that we are putting everything we can into the needs of our fellow citizens, whatever they may be, whoever they may be, in order to bring them back into the world, into America, and make sure they have the same opportunity that John Lewis wanted all of us to have. Colin Powell there is a big uh, advocate for education um, and not grievance studies either. Math, science, reading, education. That's the way uh, to elevate yourself, according to Colin Powell, and he would know. Complete change of topic. Grain of salt, as always. The COVID thing is changing rapidly. You hear something one week, the next week they say, no, that's not true so much. There is a biotech company in Britain, Synergen, which has had an incredible success 
in a clinical trial. It's a smallish trial. It's 101 people, as I recall. Um, but they have an inhaler, a product, a nebulizer, that they've used to treat COVID. I'll start at the beginning. They use a protein called interferon beta, which the body produces when it gets a viral infection. Now, that protein can be inhaled directly into the lungs of patients with this nebulizer, and they were hoping it would stimulate an immune response and diminish the seriousness of the illness. Because as we all know, there's asymptomatic, there's I had the sniffles, there I felt like I had the flu for five days, then there's the I was sick for six weeks and felt terrible, and then there are the folks who die. And what we're trying to do is find treatments so that if you get it, it's just not going to be that big a deal. So the initial findings suggest the treatment cut the odds of a COVID-19 patient developing a severe case, cut it by 79%. And patients were two to three times more likely to recover to the point where everyday activities were not compromised by their illness so they could get back to their lives. A double-blind trial involved 101 volunteers who tested positive and had been admitted to the hospital. So they're already hospitalized. Half the oh, get the uh, sad trombone ready, Michael. Half the participants were given the drug. The other half got the placebo. (laughs) Oh boy! Uh, Now I will tell you this. Here's where the grain of salt comes in. Uh, The results have not been published in a peer-reviewed journal. And the full data has not been laid bare. So this piece happens to be in the BBC. The BBC cannot confirm the claims made for the treatment. But this is a well-thought-of biotech company. They are not crackpots. Um, they are now working hard to replicate that in a bigger uh, double-blind study. So um, obviously everybody's got their fingers crossed. The process could take months, although the British government is saying we'll fast-track the hell out of it if it's as promising as you say. And the uh, the guy, the spokesman for the company, said he's instructed the companies to start producing as fast as they can. He expects Synergen to be able to deliver a few hundred thousand doses a month by the winter. Well, I certainly hope so. Let's uh, all keep our fingers crossed that this is legit. Because we either need a vaccine or a treatment. And if we have one, the other becomes a lot less important. But a treatment would be fine while we're waiting for the vaccine. Uh, we're going to finish strong. Got a little more content to squeeze in. Hope you can stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Biden can't put two sentences together. They wheel him out, he goes up, he repeats, he, they ask him questions, he reads a teleprompter, and then he goes back into his basement. You tell me the American people want to have that in an age where we're in trouble with other nations that are looking to do numbers on us. They, they wheel him out? <laughs> Boy, Donald Trump uh, sweating and uh, talking to Chris Matthews. Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace. Sorry, Chris Matthews, a very different person. Um, Hello, I suspect they have similar political leanings, but uh, Chris Wallace, uh, Fox News Sunday, talking to the president uh, on a hot, hot Washington, D.C. day. 
Uh, Trump was not done in describing uh, Joe Biden's failings. I'm going to ask you a direct question about Joe Biden. Is Joe Biden senile? I don't want to say that. I say he's not competent to be president. To be president, you have to be sharp and tough and so many other things. He doesn't even come out of his basement. They think, oh, this is a great campaign. So he goes in. I'll then make a speech. It'll be a great speech. And some young guys start writing. Vice President Biden said this, 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 this. He didn't say it. Joe doesn't know he's alive. Okay, He doesn't know he's alive. Wow, so he's not a sentient being. He's like an amoeba or a bird. A bird does a bird know it's alive? Let's not get into that. <laughs> you should see what Biden does when he crosses a mirror. And it, what, who is that? You're right. He attacks it or tries to mate with it. <laughs> uh, finally, 37. I don't think I'm going to lose at all. But if you did, how crushing would it be? And you know why I won't lose? Because the country, in the end, they're not going to have a man who who's shot. He's shot. He's mentally shot. Let him come out of his basement, go around. I'll make four or five speeches a day. I'll be interviewed by you. I'll be interviewed by the worst killers that hate my my guts. They hate my guts. There's nothing they can ask me that I won't give them a proper answer to. Some people will like it. Some people won't like I it. I agree with that. But look, you let, answer the let Biden sit through an interview like this. He'll be on the ground crying for mommy. He'll say, <laughs> mommy, mommy, please take me home. <laughs> And and finally, give me clip 40. I haven't heard this one yet. Can you give a direct answer? You will accept the election? I have to see. Look, you. I have to see. No, I'm not going to just say yes. I'm not going to say no. And I didn't last time either. You know, that's uh, being portrayed, of course, is another sign that Trump is about to launch a fascist di- dictatorship, which is absolutely hilarious. Uh, you know, if uh, as usual, I wish the president had expressed himself a little differently and not handed his critics a bat to whack him with. All he had to say was... If it's an honest election and the courts say it's fine, of course I'll accept it. He he gave himself an out in case there are major irregularities or a tie in Florida or, or whatever. But you know that's fine. If if you can sell clicks or whatever by saying Trump is going to stay for a third or fourth term, good for you. I, I, sell your clicks. I'd like to highlight just real quickly the Chris Wallace question. Okay, but if hypothetically, if you did lose, how crushing would that be? That is an idiotic question. To ask anybody, particularly somebody in the middle of a presidential race. Yeah, I'm not sure it's ever been asked. Uh, uh, I, I, I first saw this sort of question in in sports media, probably because that's where I spent an early part of my radio career. But just this hypothetical, what would your feelings be like in this scenario? Right. And on the record, so we can hammer your response, go. Right. A I, hypothetical I, emotional reaction, go. I, I don't like that as a, as a journalistic standard. Yeah, I don't like it's funny. It's been a pet peeve of mine for a long time asking people, how did you feel when? You know, we're just, we're so touchy feely emotional now in our popular culture. Um, you know, give me, how did you do it? Um, and listen, I'm not completely against the, what did it feel like to step off the ladder onto the moon? I mean, that's a perfectly legitimate question, but it's, it's always about feelings to the exclusion of the other, like, grown up stuff, in my opinion. But that's why I'm heading off to F- uh, Uzbekistan for a long vacation. <laughs> the government, I couldn't find Uzbekistan on the map. If, actually, I, I got a pretty good idea. I got a pretty good idea where it is, but. Uh, I couldn't sink the putt, but I could I could lay up close enough towards it. You could lag yeah. it. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. It's it's on your southern chunk of the former Soviet Union, getting close to Asia. 
Uh, the government of Uzbekistan is so sure of the hygiene and safety measures it's put in place to protect you, tourists, from getting COVID-19, that the president himself has put out a statement announcing an unusual approach. You get the vid while you're here. We'll write you a check for $3,000. Hey, wait a minute. Straight out of the Uzbekistani treasury, which might have like $4,000 in it or $4 billion. I, I don't know. According to Vice, uh, they say, we want to reassure tourists that they can come to Uzbekistan. And that was the only thing that was keeping me from going, is the fear of the, uh, the coronavirus. But the $3,000 figure was arrived at because that's about the cost of the medical care that Uzbekistan citizens get for free if they're infected. It's all part of the nation's safe travel guaranteed campaign. Um, That is Interesting. Now, there are a couple of caveats here before you... Uh, it's always the fine, fine print. Exactly. Before you click on UzbekistanAir.com, the tourist must have been exploring Uzbekistan with a local tour guide who's been certified in safety and hygiene guidelines. Sean, find me a, a fun fact about Uzbekistan, would you? Because I get the feeling people are thinking, I'm not going there. Well, you're a fool. You're missing it. There's a reason why the country is making this investment. Insider notes notes that it's the fourth fastest growing tourism market on Earth, according to the UN. Currently, Uzbekistan welcoming visitors from low-risk nations like Japan and South Korea. Those coming from elsewhere will have to self-quarantine for 14 days when they get there. It is is home to not only the world's largest open-pit gold mine, but also the largest shrinking lake. Um... How if it's shrinking? How is it the largest one? And it it's, oh, it's smaller tem- today than it was yeah, yesterday. It's temporary. It'll it'll probably get lapsed at some point by some other slower shrinking lake. What's a shrinking lake? Uh, the shrinking lake is attributed to the divergence of uh, main rivers taking away uh, for irrigation project projects. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Uzbekistan has had just eighty eight deaths since the pandemic started, with about seventeen thousand cases overall. Out of a country of everybody, guess. The population of Uzbekistan right now. 22,000. <laughs> it's bigger than that, Michael. I, I wish I hadn't seen the number because I would have guessed and I would have been wrong. 18 million. 33 million. Damn. 33 million people in beautiful as Uzbekistan ready to entertain you and your tourism dollars. Hey kids, it's that time again. With Armstrong and Getty. Thank you kindly. I'm your host, uh, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up. There he is, pressing the buttons in the control room. Michelangelo. Michael, final thought? Yeah, during the first debate, here's your drinking game. You take a shot every time Trump mentions uh, Biden's mental abilities. You better drink light beer, not vodka, if you want to keep on standing during the whole you know, debate. I just hope there are debates. I hope so, too. The Biden people are seriously considering refusing to even debate. Positive Sean, a final thought for us. One of the greatest challenges facing Uzbekistan is corruption. In 2005, the country was ranked in a position 137 out of 159 most corrupt countries in the world. Oh, yeah, that whole part of the world, there ain't an honest uh, politician in them. They're crooked as corkscrews. Jack is helping out with a medical procedure uh, and uh, will be returning at some point. Uh, My final thought is to just reset this Trader Joe's story. Change.org petition called Trader Jose 
Mexican foods and Trader Ming, Chinese foods at Trader Joe's, racist. 840 people, period, had that idiotic opinion. But Trader Joe's is so terrified of being branded as racists, they're going to change all their packaging. You people, you seriously going to run terrified from the mob like this? Oh, I see. I'm sorry. The uh, number of people signing it had grown to 1,700 by today. 1,700? You can get 1,700 people to show up at a goat roping on a Saturday in East Bumble Blank. Oh, my gosh. We need more spine in this country. Spine! So many people will think, oh, Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another four-hour workday. Grueling. Grueling. So many people who thank so little time, go to armstrongandgetty.com. All of the show, if you missed any of it, is available. The on-demand podcast, all the podcasts are there. You can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Help to keep the staff together and paid. Buy some Armstrong and Getty swag t-shirt or something. That's armstrongandgetty.com. See you tomorrow. God bless America. You having a good time? Okay, I I did not say that. I've sat here for over three hours and 15 minutes. (laughs) That sucks. If you wish to leave, you may. Let me just say... How very, very dismaying and disappointing. Not uh, good. And just change the channel from this mesmerizing horror show. We'll be better tomorrow than we were today. Then we heard the words. It's over for me. Adios, mofo. Okay, so we're we're dismissed, is that correct? Do you want to rephrase what you're doing? He'll be on the ground crying for mommy. He'll say, mommy, mommy, please take me home. 